Hello and welcome to the All Sociology Take One podcast, the sociology podcast that's all done in one take by some bloke sitting in his living room and speaking into his mobile phone. Uh, that bloke is me, my name's Ben, and for the next half an hour or so I'm going to present a podcast that answers some of the questions that you have about sociology. Uh, so about a week ago or so uh, I asked my followers on Instagram uh, for questions they had about sociology. I've got a few responses and uh, most of these I can kind of group up into a few main themes like uh, the benefits of studying sociology, ways of studying sociology. Uh, there's going to be a bit about my personal views and experiences with the subject. And also we're going to do, uh, look at some questions about the nature of sociology and its role in addressing inequalities. So that's basically what I'm going to be taking you through uh, today on episode 13, unlucky for some, of the Take One uh, All Sociology podcast. So uh, before we get into answering some of these questions, I want to put some of this stuff in context a little bit. It's, um, it's Saturday the 18th of April 2020. Uh, and I'm sat here in my gaff uh, in Ipswich in the east of England and we're still in lockdown here so for another three weeks at least uh, we ain't going anywhere um, so I normally do a quick shout out uh, and today I'm shouting out all of my students who I teach I've not seen them in what feels like about a month now uh, so hello to all of you I hope you're all well uh, and continuing to do the work that I've set for you uh, hello as well to all of my listeners around the world uh, including as per usual my mum and dad now if you're a regular listener to the uh, Take One podcast you'll know that I have a different drink with me every time I do a podcast and today is no different today's drink is tea it's just straight up boring normal tea um I've actually uh like in my boredom in lockdown I've actually had a little bit of a move around in my flat uh to try and improve my efficiency and my flow when I do work and stuff like that so what I've done is I've actually moved my kettle uh, to my sofa to help improve my flow when I'm working um I don't know why I haven't actually thought of this before and um if my tea goes cold or uh, I drink it all, I'm probably going to have to make another brew halfway through the show. So if you hear a kettle, uh, don't panic. Uh, it's just me making another tea. Anyway, let's uh, get into a rundown of what we're going to cover today. So um, I'm going to do a segment on uh, what I've called the benefits of studying sociology. So I had a couple of questions about whether it's worth doing sociology at a particular level, uh, what kind of careers sociology can lead to. And I'm going to talk a bit about that for about five minutes or so. Uh, the next segment will be uh, about ways of studying sociology. So a couple of people will ask me about uh, how can I best revise, how can I best approach exams. And in that section, I'm going to give you kind of three tips uh, from me about how best to revise and how best to plan your time in exams. Uh, the third kind of little chapter we're going to do is uh, a bit about like my own personal views and experiences. So uh, some people wanted to know uh, different things about me, like what my favourite part of my sociology degree was or... Uh, whether I can recommend a couple of books so I'm going to do that and then we'll finish off with a bit more kind of hard and fast sociology so looking at like uh, someone asked me about what the aim of the subject is how it can be used to tackle inequalities and if there are inequalities existing in uh, institutions like uh, education or crime or whatever why aren't these um, inequalities acted upon uh, so that's basically what we're going to do today uh, there were actually uh, one or two other questions raised uh, uh, where people have uh, suggested some questions for me to answer in particular a couple of people wanted to hear more about uh, youth subcultures um so i'm going to put together something on that topic um in due course i'm going to need a little bit more time uh, than i have today to do it justice so uh, stay tuned for a whole podcast on uh, youth subcultures coming soon anyway let's get cracking so um I'm going to start off today by talking about a couple of questions and they both sort of relate to like the benefits of doing and studying sociology. So my first question comes from uh, I underscore need to get a life. Uh, thank you for your question. It says, is it worth taking sociology at college if I've already taken it at GCSE? Now, this very much is like ultimately this is your decision and it depends upon what you want to do. And it also kind of depends upon what kind of student you are, I guess. But this one, the best advice I can give is to like speak to your college tutor 
uh, about what the course is, what topics are going to be covered in that uh, in that higher level course. Check whether how that kind of tallies up with what you've done at GCSE. It may end up being quite similar to what you've done at GCSE, and that might well suit you. For a lot of students, it does. It's quite nice sometimes to sort of go into a, a higher level subject like an A level or a higher or a um, uh, you know an, an MBQ or something like that knowing a little bit about the subject equally it might not suit you you might think well do you know what i've done this i learned this i know this already i want to do something else so my advice would be to have a chat with your college tutor see what course they cover see what's covered in that course and then have a uh, sort of like way up for you whether you want to do something based on what that's going to be like if it's going to be too similar to what you've already done and you want to change probably don't do it if it's going to be something different and you really like sociology do it you also probably want to have a think about you know how much you enjoyed it at sociology and actually as well like i mean i don't like saying this but you know was it one of your better subjects as well because if it was then you know it might make sense potentially to do that but obviously only do it if you enjoy it and at the end of the day it's your choice so i uh, underscore need to get a life uh, you don't need to get a life but you do need to have a think about whether you want to take sociology at college good luck with that one if there's anything else i can do to help just drop me a line um my second question comes from uh, at underscore jess jones one uh, jess is actually one of my students hello to jess um she asks, uh, what careers can sociology lead to? Uh, this is a really common question. And um, if you're talking about like what careers can a sociology degree uh, lead on to, or one that fe like heavily features sociology, like cultural studies or uh, media and society, criminology, any of those, I'd say there are kind of two answers to this question. I'm going to give you the, like, the stock answer, first of all. So the answer that you'll normally hear from most people, but I'll repeat it in my own beautiful dulcet tones. So sociology is really like, it, first of all, it's a great subject because it's got so many transferable skills. Ultimately, if I'm going to give you that kind of stock answer, sociology is excellent for leading to careers that centre around people. So whether that's in like public services by you know working for the police or the criminal justice system, whether it's working in social work or healthcare or social care or being a teacher or a counsellor or, or anything like that, any kind of job like that where you're working in the public sector, wonderful for you. You're working with people, you need to understand people. It could also be very useful for jobs where you represent people. So perhaps uh, a job in law or government, whether it be local government or central government, potentially generating policies and things like that. Also, as again, I come back to like understanding people, like potentially a, a role as a mediator, so between two people, two groups of people, or even kind of a humanitarian career, uh, you know, working with someone like Amnesty International or, or, or another kind of charity group. But it also, I mean, and this is kind of like the route that I took with it, it could also be used very adeptly and very acutely for business-centred careers, uh, again, that require an understanding of human beings and their behaviours. So like marketing or advertising, research and development, market research, um, public relations, human resources, planning, any kind of job that basically is going to help a business to better understand people, whether it be their customers or their clients or indeed their employees. So any kind of job like that, any job in the media, or indeed it could be something academic, like an academic researcher, a professor or a lecturer. You know, it's, I think the, the key thing is it's just one of those subjects that's got so many transferable skills and it kind of leads on to my second answer to the question. So the other like often not talked about answer to this question is that when it comes to getting a career uh, it's often more about the candidate themselves than about their academic history or what they've gotten written on a bit of paper so like for, for me personally I was quite lucky is that the right the right word I don't know or serendipitously at least my academic career like naturally flowed from being 
doing sociology at like A level in university to being a social researcher, then becoming a brand consultant and then becoming a teacher. But not everyone's like trajectory will follow that path. And as I said before, like employers at any level, we want good people. And as someone who's had to make these kind of decisions about hiring people and stuff like that, every single day of the week I choose someone who's got the right skills and attitude over someone without this, irrespective of what degree they've done. So I would very much encourage you just to think about the broader, I know you will, the broader transferable skills that you learn through sociology as well as what you learn in lessons and lectures and seminars. However, like, you know, having said all that, if you want to be a vet or a dentist, sociology probably ain't the best career path for you. But hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea as to some of the uh, career options that might be available to you. So I'm going to have a quick sip of tea. And we're going to then start talking about um, ways of studying sociology. So I had a couple of questions um, from people about you know ways you can revise and how I can prepare for exams and stuff. And so the first question I've got uh, comes from uh, business underscore HBK. Hello to you. And they asked me, what are the best ways to revise sociology? Now, I hate to be a bit of a cop out on this, but there is, this is very difficult to answer because there's no one size fits all approach to answering and revising uh, for sociology. I think that there are two big challenges that all sociology students are going to need to overcome irrespective of what exam they're studying for okay and I think those two things really are one it's knowing content and two it's knowing how to apply that content to the exam questions that could come up so it's basically about knowing what to say and what to do and how to say and how to do it so like I've thought about this a little bit and because it's so difficult because it's so personal depending on like your own abilities and your strengths and how you do things um, some of these tips on got three tips for you these may not work but they might work from other people as well just adapt them see what they do for you if they don't work don't follow through with them but i highly recommend to have a bit of a, a google around or look on youtube at what uh, strategies you might be able to use so i mean i'm going to base this all on my own personal experience because you know that's often quite a good way to think about things did this work for me yeah um if so it might work for you so my first tip really and this refers to like learning and knowing the content so you're going to come across an awful lot of names of sociologists and studies and theories and you're going to have to be able to link all of these things together. It's not easy because there's a lot of them. Now one of the ways I used to do this when I was at, um, at university was to, I mean first of all what I did at uni was I just read. I went to the library like every day and I just read because I knew that that was something that would work for me. Just complete repetition, repetition, repetition. But for learning those theories and those names and the studies and stuff, what I did was I used to write those things down really simply, like on literally like one or two words on a post-it note, and I used to put those post-it notes where I'd be most likely to see them. So, for instance, I'd put them on my mirror because I'd look in the mirror every morning. Um, or, you know, contrary to popular belief, I would actually check how I looked before I left the house in the morning. I put them on my sun visor in the car. I put them around the TV on the computer, um, and all of those kind of things. So I'd constantly be seeing those things all of the time it just goes in it's like rote learning the other thing you can do now and stuff that i something i did when i was like training to become a teacher if i had to learn um you know particular phrases or quotes or whatever was to write them down on my like my notes app on my phone and i say it's really boring i know and i saved that as a screenshot so the notes that i've made and i had that as my lock screen or, or for my for my mobile phone so then every time i went to open my phone I would see that and be reminded of that again and again. Now this can work like by you just writing your own notes. Other people, I know they've said to me that they've saved 
uh, like the pictures off Instagram, uh, save those as screenshots and put those as their lock screen because that way they see that content again and again and again. I don't know how many times it is we check our phones in a day, but it's hundreds. So if you think just by doing that one little thing, you will be able to hopefully give yourself a better chance of remembering those things more effectively. So that's my first tip. Um, my second tip is about like actual revising the process you go through. I know this sounds like exactly the sort of thing that my teacher said to me when I was uh, a bit younger, but little and often revision is so much more effective than cramming, particularly at a subject of sociology. You ain't gonna be able to learn all of this stuff overnight. It's best just to put aside sort of 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour every day and go through your stuff in a quite a methodical fashion. So one of the things I say to my students, on top of like the homework and assignments and stuff that I set them, what I say is like, read over the notes that you've made in that lesson like read over ideally you want to read over them twice like read over them just after you've finished the lesson or like a day after it so you can go through it and you can make notes on any questions you've got anything you're not sure of or anything you're not, you don't quite understand <clears throat> and take those notes to your teacher go and speak to them or your lecturer that's what our job is our job is there to help you like i'm not going to speak for every single like educator in the land but i would i love it when students come up to me and say oh just going over what i did yesterday can you just explain this for me a little bit better? That's the only way you're gonna understand things. And if you put your head in the sand, you ain't gonna get it. And if that comes up on the exam, that's not a good situation to be in. So uh, read through your notes after the lesson, get some kind of confirmation, clarification. And then what I'd also do is like read, read over them again before the following lesson or the following lecture. And that will just help you confirm your understanding. It will help you start making links between what you covered in the previous uh, um, uh, lecture or uh, and, the, and the one you're just about to go into okay so that that's a method that I've used I, I advise my students to do that as well it might well work for you and then the final thing I'm going to say about this is exam paper uh, exam paper practice so the more you know um, about what to expect in the exam and how to approach the quest the questions that you're going to be asked the better you're going to be right so of course you are never going to know the questions that are going to turn up in the exam before you actually sit in that exam but if you know your way around the paper you know how to answer and approach different styles of questions you know roughly how to manage your time then you're going to be halfway there and that's when um, sort of tips one and two will then help you out again by knowing those names by having done a nice effective revision strategy that should help you out so three tips there that hopefully might help you out business underscore hbk i hope it's helpful for you um number four so i've got four questionnaires this comes from uh, Arunk, uh excuse me arunk dosange i think i've pronounced that right apologies if i haven't um and they've asked me how can you best manage your time in exams um gosh yes i mean again this depends on like who you are what your strengths are and whether you're talking what kind of level you're talking about so like the advice I would give to someone taking a GCSE exam would be different to someone taking a, an A-level or an undergrad exam. It would also very much depend on knowing that person and knowing their strengths and, and perhaps things that they're not so good at. So having knowing none of that about you at all, Arunk, I'm going to have a go at this, but like I'd say that there's plenty that you can do before the exam itself. And the way I always think about like prepping for an exam, it's like training for a big event like a big football match or a big boxing match or something like that you wouldn't go into that big final match having not practiced or having not trained so you've got to do that before you work up to that final exam or that final set of exams so again i prefer i'd refer back to those like tips that i just gave you a minute ago or gave to uh, business hbk so particularly the third tip so exam paper practice that's the best way that you're going to get good at managing time and exams and i particularly recommend 
doing practice papers, getting your teacher or your tutor to market or at least have a look over it and then highlight where you've performed well or not so well. So something I've done recently with a student of mine, they came to me uh, having been unable to kind of complete a exam in, in the time that they're given. And what we did, basically, I gave them two exam papers and uh, they were very, very similar. And I asked them to approach one of them, like just going straight down from question one, two, three, four, five chronologically. And the other one, I said, don't do that. Approach it, go for the big questions first, the ones that are like worth the most amount of marks. And if you can do that yourself and get your tutor or whoever to look over that, they should be able to do a bit of analysis or you'll be able to do it yourself and you'll be able to work out which approach is better for you. Of course, you know, when you do your practice, you've got to be honest with yourself. Do it in time conditions. Do it to the best of your abilities. Don't do it if you know, excuse me, don't do it if you know it's in front of you. You want to try and replicate what you're going to actually be like in that situation okay and once you know once again you should go about saying do all of this before the exam knowing your content and knowing uh, your subject and your theories and your concepts okay that's one thing but knowing what's expected of you is probably the biggest thing that i think students overlook they focus far too much on what they have to do rather than knowing how they have to do it and often that technique and that time management and stuff like that is just as important as actually knowing the stuff. There's no use, there's no use knowing all this stuff if you ain't gonna have time to write it all out. So I know it's a bit of a cop-out answer, Arunk, but hopefully that helps you a little bit. Let me know if it does, mate. Um, we have a little sip of tea now. What are we doing for time? What does that say there? Uh, 17 minutes. Okay, right, we might actually get through this one in half an hour. Um, what have we got now? Right, we've got, um, so a couple of people bizarrely want to know some things about me. Hey, so, um, I've got a couple of questions here that are a bit about like my views and experiences with sociology. The first one uh, comes from uh, one of the regulars to this show, Potter underscore. Hello, Davina. Um, and she asked me, what was your favourite part of your sociology degree? Um, this was good. I liked thinking about this question, actually, because I had to think that quite far back. I'd studied um, BA sociology uh, at the University of Birmingham in the UK uh, between 2004 to 2007, so a very long time ago. Uh, now, I really enjoyed the course, um, and particularly, I love the stuff that was based around like cultural studies and the, like things like the sociology of film, uh, the sociological significance of gender and sexuality, sociology of the media, and I love like pop culture and stuff like that. So, like by popular culture, in case you don't know what I mean, I mean like TV, magazines, movies, music, all of that kind of stuff. It's always fascinated me. So, the best bits of my course were bits that linked my interest in my personal interest in that to sociological understanding of that. So, my favourite module. It took me a while to think about this one, Davina, so thanks for your question. Uh, my favourite module was one that I studied, I think it was in my second year, it's a bit blurry, um, and it was called The Sociology of Popular Music. And it sounds completely pony, but it was brilliant. And it was led by a bloke called Dr. Pete Webb, I'm sure he's around still. Um, and it really opened my eyes to like the way that music can help explain social experiences and how it can help us understand like social moods and trends, because music often reflects um, the kind of zeitgeist in a society. So particularly, I'm thinking about like particularly amongst different social groups. Um, and there's loads of like links to youth subcultures and stuff like this as well, because subcultures are invariably linked up with musical genres and things like that. So I love this. And the music, uh, sorry, the music, the module like really introduced me to so much music that I either wasn't aware of, or at the time I didn't understand like the cultural significance of like, in the context, in the social context in which it was written or performed. Like, so I'll give you a couple of examples, like um, uh, the punk movement or the disco movement, both of those are absolutely fascinating to look into 
from a sociological perspective and the impacts and the sort of issues they raised in terms of things like class and race, gender and sexuality. And I, I just find that so, so, so interesting. It's just social history. Um, I think as well, like the module also helped me to better understand like music that's been released like since then. So I've taken what I've well, I actually learned something and I've taken that through with me um, throughout my life. So I always like think about like it's really helpful to understand if you want to get a feel for what life in a society is like at a particular point in time from a particular point of view. You can get that from a record or from a piece of music. So like when looking at the life perhaps of like young working class men in urban UK about 10 years ago, which is exactly the sort of position that I was in uh, around about the time of the London riots, have a listen to something like Plan B's Ill Manners or The Defamation of Strickland Banks, right? So those albums, they're old now, they're what, about 10 years ago, 10 years old now, but some of the, the, the lyrics really emphasise the social feeling that was around at the time, around sort of 10 years ago. I mean, similarly, someone else might point to like Stormzy's work or Dave's work to get a similar sense of what it's like uh, growing up in young urban environments in the UK today. So I really, I love that kind of stuff. But the other thing, I will shut up about this in a minute, you can tell I'm passionate. <laughs> I also really loved enjoying, like learning about and understanding how music's been used to like support and overcome like social divisions and so like the example I'll give that I learned about in my university course was this thing called and I'd never heard of this before uh, this course but it's a genre called two-tone music which is like it's a mix between like ska and reggae and punk rock so some of the bands associated with this genre would be like definitely the specials or the selector or the beat and what they did is they brought black and white musicians together for the first time um, and led concerts like Rock Against Racism in efforts to sort of bridge ethnic divides and combat lots of the racial discrimination and far right politics that were rising in Britain at, at the turn of like the sort of the end of the 1970s, start of the 1980s. And I, what I love about this as well is that this links into subcultural theory as well, because this type of music also inspired and saw like a reappropriation, which means a taking back of skinhead culture um, away from uh, far right white supremacist groups who'd kind of picked it up at the tail end of the 70s and, and taken on as their own and it got reappropriated so it got taken back uh, by black and white young generally young men but also young women through this two-tone music genre which only lasted for about sort of three years from the start of the 1980s and also what I think is like incredible as well when we think about this like um, British music has always been a world leader in this and particularly about like bridging social divides and so like it's really interesting like if you look into the history of something like the Beatles the Beatles had it written in their contracts that they wouldn't play to segregated audiences and so when they were playing um, and touring America and stuff like that many of these US venues had segregated audiences where black and white people either weren't allowed in the same place at the same time or they were split apart so black people would be at the back and white people be at the front and that kind of thing and what um, the Beatles did was they basically forced a lot of these US venues to integrate their venues or lose out on having the Beatles play and no one in the 1960s wanted to lose out on having the Beatles play because they were the biggest band around in the whole world and indeed in 1964 the Beatles actually refused to go on stage to do a gig in Florida until the audience was desegregated and they made the venue owners literally move people around until they started playing so I think that's just like I just think it's wonderful I think it's super interesting uh, the way that an art form and I'm a big fan of the arts as well an art form can bring people together, can actually have some semblance and impact on social change. So that was my favourite part of my degree. Davina, sorry I've banged on about that, but I clearly had a little bit of a, a reminisce uh, over the last sort of five minutes or so. So there's that. Right, um, the, the next question, and uh, this is from someone whose name I'm going to try and pronounce. It's I think it's 
Yanosamika May Laguna, I think that's how you pronounce your name, and they just asked me, this was actually a while ago, they dropped me a message, I think right at the start of the year, just saying, can you recommend me a sociological book? And um, in true fashion, uh, I'm not going to give you just one, I'm going to give you three. Um, there is so many to choose from. I mean, I've given you, right, one is for reference, right? So here's a great reference book that every, every sociologist should have. It's literally called The Sociology Book. It's by someone called Alexandra Beden. And basically, it's a picture book. And at the moment, it's, it, it's two quid on Amazon Kindle right now. Two quid. Um, I think I've got the hardback edition because I haven't got a Kindle. But like, it's basically a book that it's about 300 pages long. And it just goes through loads of different theories, concepts. It's got pictures. It's, got, it's really nicely presented. And I love anything that's well presented. Go and get yourself that. If you've got a Kindle, there are so many worse things you can spend two quid on. Go and get that. The Sociology Book by Alex Beden. Um, one for understanding a study, I've gone for uh, Howard Becker's Outsiders, uh, so that was released in 1963, well worth a read, it's about, I think it's about 250 pages long, really worth a read, really easy to read, and I think if you've actually first hand read any primary research from the, the big sociologists, you're always going to be in an advantage to understanding that stuff, so go and have a look at that if you can, and then the final one, actually uh, sort of Davina's question got me thinking about uni. One of the books I read when I was at university was a book called No Logo by Naomi Klein. And this is, it's not necessarily a sociological book, but it applies a lot of sociological ideas um, to the business world and marketing. So it looks at things like globalisation, consumption, culture and capitalism and seeks to explain why we are the way we are in the Western world. So there we go. Three books for you. You've got the sociology book, you've got Howard Becker's Outsiders and you've got uh, No Logo by Naomi Klein. So, how are we doing? Have I got much time left? I've got well, about five minutes. That's not too bad. We'll see how we get on. I think I might even get there. Um, I'm going to hit on to now, like, some quite, I suppose, like, more heavier questions, I suppose. But I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I want to keep this fairly light um, and give you guys an opportunity to sort of uh, hear what I've got to say in relatively succinct fashion, which, I'm, as you know, I'm pretty bad at. Um, so, we're going to spend the last bit of this just looking at some of the sort of more theoretical questions, like... Uh, the nature of sociology and its role in tackling inequality. So we'll go again. Jess Blesser has sent me another couple of questions in. So the first couple come from Jess uh, Jones. Um, and she asks me, uh, first of all, what is the aim of sociology? Oh, gosh, that's a big one, isn't it? Um, I think, again, like different sociologists, different people will have different ideas on this. I'm just going to tell you my personal view. My personal view, what's the aim of sociology? The aim of sociology is to better understand this thing that we call society in the aim of improving it and that for me is as simple as it is and i think we can do this through uh, conducting well i don't think i know we can do this but i've done it myself we can do this through conducting sociological research to understand a variety of ways in which society works and how different parts of society work and then after we've kind of done that research we can then produce sort of data and evidence and start developing theories policies services or structures that can sort of address those issues i mean of course, the issue really and the difficulty comes when we consider what do we mean when we say improving society? Who benefits from those improvements? And is an improvement to me an, imp an improvement to somebody else? And there is obviously in sociology there's little agreement on where we should focus our energies with these improvements. And it leads to theories like you know feminism, thinking we should focus on the gender divide, Marxism, focusing, thinking we should focus on the class divide, etc., etc. So the, for me, the aim ultimately is about um, better understanding society, uh, putting in place measures to hopefully improve that, although what those improvements are is definitely disagreed upon. And I think the other thing as well, when we think about the aim of sociology, what we're here for, we tend to forget, or I think that 
and I don't want to be patronising, but I think that young people, because you perhaps haven't had as much life experience and aren't as old and crusty as people like me, we forget that like society is always evolving. It's cumulatively developing all of the time. And we should always continue to study it and not underestimate the importance of sociology as one of many disciplines that can ultimately, and this is, this is the nub of it for me, and I don't want to go too like hardcore with this, but ultimately sociology is important because it will help improve civilization for future generations. And for, future, um, for me, that's really what it's all about. As I say, other people might have a different view, but for me, let's understand society, let's make it better, let's improve it for people who are going to be around after us. That's my argument on that one. Uh, Jess, you've also asked me a bit about how can sociology be used to tackle inequalities. Um, yeah, so leading on from the previous answer, I, I'd always say, you know, having been uh, someone who's recommended and been an advisor, a policy advisor to the government, we use sociological research to find out more about those inequalities. Um, and then what we do uh, from that research is uh, produce data, and then off the back of that, we can then start making changes, most often through sort of evidence-based policy recommendations, policy generation and reform, those kind of things. So um, policies always require evidence to um, uh, be put into place. No, no government uh, or organisation is going to institute a policy unless it's got some evidence to back it up. The reason for that being it's expensive and it takes a lot of time, and potentially it, it, they're quite risky uh, manoeuvres. Uh, I'll give you a, a quick example. So um, a personal example from a few years ago. Um, it was only actually in 2003 that paternity leave, uh, so that's like uh, the allowance for fathers to take a couple of weeks off uh, when a kid's been born. It's only in 2003 that this was actually uh, brought into UK law, allowing men uh, more of an equal chance to have a share in child rearing. Um, what's what we've seen is when this was introduced it wasn't particularly flexible so you could argue that it wasn't particularly fair that men and women uh, although obviously women biologically the ones bearing children men weren't having a fairly equal <clears throat> playing field when it came to taking time off work so uh, myself and, and, and others what we did was we went out and did some investigations did some research with, with those men who were taking paternity leave to see what kind of changes they would have wanted to bring it up to be more fair in line with, with uh, maternity leave and those kind of things. And so what we found out was that uh, men wanted to um, make it more flexible. They wanted to be able to sort of take bits of their paternity leave uh, at some points and drop them and pick it up again. And that was suggested as to make things a little bit more equal. And those kind of changes eventually got put into place. I mean, similarly, I think we can think with like <clears throat> things like the Equality Act of 2010, previous iterations, these policies have not just come out of nowhere, they've been introduced as a result of data and, uh, and research, and much of that has been reproduced by sociologists. So how can we tackle inequalities as sociologists? We can produce evidence-based research that will uh, hopefully go towards making policy changes that, again, will be um, advantageous and beneficial for those who are currently experiencing inequality, so we can reduce those gaps. Okay, I'm a little bit disappointed, guys, actually. I'm not going to have to make a new cup of tea, so you're not going to hear my kettle today. But um, nonetheless, we'll get with the last question. So the last question, uh, again, from another uh, regular to this show. Hello to you, uh, Jack Ted Smith. Uh, Jack asks, if people know that there are class inequalities in education, why don't they stop it? I think this is a great question. And um, again, not one that I can give an easy answer for, because I could bang on about this for ages, but I really want to try and wrap this up in the next sort of couple of minutes. But... So ultimately, Jack, why don't we do things about these inequalities? Ultimately, again, this is my personal view, but it's down to governments. Uh, every government, I suppose, has its like own priorities and agendas, but they are limited in terms of the time and the budgets as to what they can actually achieve. So 
changes like overhauling um, even part of big structures like the education system um, creates um, sorry takes time and it costs money and rightly or wrongly governments haven't prioritized this over other things so having said that I mean various governments have over the past sort of well you know 30 years or so try to implement uh, policies aimed at reducing class and gender inequalities and those affecting different ethnic groups and those different different uh, excuse me and those with disabilities and stuff like that and so those kind of compensatory we call those kind of compensatory educational policies policies that aim to um, like reduce the gaps between uh, those who are achieving and those perhaps who aren't achieving those compensatory educational policies have had sort of varying levels of success depending on who you speak to and how you measure it I mean I'll finish this off I don't like ending on a cynical note but I will um, taking a more cynical like more Marxist approach to this and a more Marxist reading of your question so why are inequalities not being addressed in education you might argue that caste inequalities haven't been addressed because those in power don't want to address them so again that's a that's a, yeah, a little cheeky cynical Marxist perspective to throw in just at the end there uh, to have you ha make you have a think about that ultimately Jack um, there are many many reasons why that is I would say ultimately it comes down to time and money and priorities of governments but again it depends upon which um, epistemological standpoint which theory you kind of side with but will depend upon how you answer that question or how others answer that question okie dokie right woo that's it we're done uh, so how long are we on I'm obsessed with checking the time so 33 minutes that ain't too bad and um, I'll finish so this will be hopefully be done before uh, well in a couple of minutes if I shut up and get a move on so let's just recap through what we went to through today I went through some questions on the benefits of studying sociology uh, talking about whether it's worth studying at college and further education I said ultimately it's up to you but yes do do it if you think it's right for you we talked a bit about careers that sociology can lead to ultimately it's all sorts but don't forget that the person is more important than the piece of paper they have in their hand uh, we considered some uh, ways of revising and studying for sociology so I gave you three top tips for revision which were in effect learn uh, learn your content and do things like throwing post-it notes around your room and sticking them around your car to help you learn that and see that and put it on your lock screen I told you about little and often revision is the best way to revise and also about practicing so practice those exam papers if you can get hold of them and then also about time management ideas again it all comes down to practicing you might want to experiment a little bit with the ordering of which you answer those questions record the time record how many marks you get and don't be afraid to go and ask your tutor to get uh, a, a look them to have a look over it uh, thirdly we talked a little bit about or I talked a little bit about uh, my experiences with sociology so I talked about my favorite part of my degree the sociology of popular music and I gave you three book recommendations which were the sociology book uh, Outsiders by Howard Becker and No Logo by Naomi Klein and then finally we just finished off there by having a bit of a think about some of the aims of sociology how it can be used to tackle inequalities and uh, ultimately why uh, inequalities aren't always addressed and I argued that it's probably because it isn't always a priority of government scary huh so there we go that's what we've done today um what's going on next what's happening for me well I've actually got quite a few things in in the mix at the moment um I think I said earlier on right at the start of this I'm working on a podcast on uh, subcultures and indeed a few others uh, so they'll be getting pushed out in the next sort of few weeks or so I guess I'm trying to do one of these about once every two weeks once every 10 days something like that so that'll probably be in uh hopefully by the end of April start of May um what else am I doing I'm running the I'm still running the uh, social uh, what's it called the student takeover on Instagram so do go and check that out at all sociology uh, what it is basically every day between now and the end of April I'm throwing up on uh, Instagram and Twitter and on my Facebook page 
wonderful examples of student work that's been done for me over the year uh, just because I thought well I haven't seen any student work for ages because I've been in lockdown isn't it nice to be able to share some of the best stuff I've had this year so go and have a look at that go and check it out if you think you've got uh, what it takes to get involved in the student takeover just send it to me uh, which you can do just by tagging me uh, at all sociology in an instagram post or sending it to me uh, on an email so that's all sociology uk at gmail.com a l l s o c i o l o g y uk at gmail.com uh, so that's still going on which is awesome uh, that's going to run to the end of april and as i say you can get all of the high-res images on Facebook page. Uh, I don't know what the address for that is. You just have to like, search on Facebook or sociology. Uh, so that's happening. Uh, I'm also going to be a guest on uh, someone else's podcast coming up. Hooray! Uh, so there's a new sociology. Well, it's actually been going for ages, actually, but I think it's just been rebranded. Uh, it's called The Sociology Show Podcast. Let me start that again. I've butchered it. The Sociology Show Podcast, uh, which is hosted by a guy called Matt and who's very recently interviewed the likes of uh, Louise Archer, who's that person who talks a lot about gender identities and at school and Nike IDs and stuff like that. He's spoken to Sue Palmer, uh, you know, her of toxic childhood fame. So I'm going to be in really good company there, and I'm going to be um, recording that in about a week, I think. So I'll link you up with that when I get a chance. Uh, in the meantime, go out and check, go out and check, or go and check out uh, the, um, the podcast on Twitter. I don't know what the link is, but I think his... Uh, username on Twitter is at sociology the s o c i o l o g y t h e on Twitter, and that will link you up to uh, some of the podcasts. And um, finally, just some exciting news as well. Um, I'm actually joining forces with uh, another podcaster, uh, another educational podcaster, to form a little bit of a network because we feel like we want a bit of safety in numbers. I'm not going to say too much about this just yet, but all it's nothing's going to change for you guys. It's just going to mean a better experience for you, and it'll just mean I'll be able to do a little bit more. Uh, with the podcast uh, in the future so a bit more about that in the future but that's what's happening with me so I'm a busy boy I hope you're all busy as well and I hope you're all sort of staying safe and aren't going to stir crazy uh, with the lockdown and all of that kind of stuff um, last thing to say if you've enjoyed this podcast or if you found something useful for it or you learned something from it I would love you to do me a couple of favours uh, the first thing you can do and this is all free it don't cost you any money uh, first thing you can do if you are listening to this on Apple iTunes podcasts please, please, please go and hit me up with a five-star review. It's kind and it just makes me look good. The reason I want to do that is because I think it would be absolutely hilarious if uh, I could get this podcast further up the iTunes charts to be one of the best ones, or at least one of the first ones you see when you search sociology on iTunes. I think it would be hilarious. Uh, so do that. The other thing I'd like to do, uh, if you like it, uh, go and subscribe. So hit the subscribe. God, I sound like such a dickhead, but go and hit the subscribe button. Um, or like do whatever you need to do on uh, iTunes or on Google Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, that would make my day and make me very happy. So there you go. That's it from me. Uh, all that's left to say is to stay safe, uh, keep staying in, keep washing your hands, uh, keep trying hard to keep up with your schoolwork and stuff like that. And again, uh, have a look on the Instagram, All Sociology, and keep following the All Sociology Student Takeover. Uh, I'm over and out because I've run out of things to say. I will catch you next time, people. Thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Bye.